I was born in the mid-70s, which may shock you. But it means that musically, I came of age in the mid-80s and early 90s. And that means I love 80s music. Now, this past summer, we were on a cruise ship that had a musical venue devoted to rock music, primarily from the 80s, and I loved it at so many levels. I loved it, right? I went every night till I got COVID. And... Uh, and not only did I love the music, I was just excited that I finally reached the age where businesses are marketing to my generation. Right? You don't realize how long, we, if you're not part of our generation, you don't realize how long we Gen Xers have been waiting for businesses to market to us. We're this little generation sandwiched between the boomers and the millennials, and so nobody's really cared about our money and our business. So it's very, very exciting. We have arrived, but I digress. Right? The point is, I love 80s music. And one quintessentially 80s song that I love is Bruce Springsteen's Glory Days. Anybody else a fan of that song? Right? I'm, I'm hearing the sounds. Right? And to me, it's a, it's a fascinating song. Most of his, many of his songs are. Um, it's fascinating because it sounds very different than it reads. Right? The sound is extremely upbeat. It's got this wonderful sound. It's got all this energy. And that's, you know, let's be honest. Like, that's what I, I like about it. That's kind of what I'm into it. But, but Springsteen's music is often intentionally ironic if you pay attention to the lyrics. And despite all that upbeat energy and tempo, the reality is Glory Days is quite depressing. Right? If you have you if you've really looked at the lyrics, right, it's all about people who peaked in high school. And their lives have gone nowhere since then, and their only real joy is getting together to drink and remember the glory days when they were in high school. A washed-up baseball player who just keeps talking about the glory days. A once popular girl, now a divorced single mom who laughs about the glory days to keep from crying. His unemployed factory worker father who's too old to get hired anywhere else and just sits at the American Legion Hall. And the song concludes by saying he hopes he doesn't turn into that. But time slips away and leaves you with nothing, mister, but boring stories of glory days. Like I said, it's a depressing song. But man, does it sound great. What resonates about that song from my perspective is how easily any of us can actually be susceptible to kind of falling into that pattern of living in the past and thinking, spending our days thinking about when things were better. Many people, when faced with unpleasant circumstances in the present, can wind up dwelling far too much on the glory days of the past rather than working to make a better future. People do it. Churches do it big time. Even whole nations can do it, right? I mean, right now, not to oversimplify a complicated situation, but Europe is literally on the brink of World War III because a handful of Russians are thinking about the glory days of the Soviet Union. Now, there is nothing wrong with 
occasionally celebrating the past like we did two weeks ago. Look, we, we look back. Uh, there's nothing wrong with looking back from time to time, telling a good story or two, sharing a laugh. But if we spend too much time in the glory days of the past, we miss the future glory that lies ahead. And that is not good, wise, or healthy for Christians. See, God always wants his people looking and moving forward, though we must certainly learn from and be inspired by the past. This message is really at the heart of today's passage as we continue our little three-part series on the book of Haggai with chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your Midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house should be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, in this prophetic message, God is inviting the people of Israel to briefly look back at their glory days of the past, then honestly have a good cry about their pitiful present and then move forward in his power and presence into a future that will be better than their past. And I want to emphasize that for the people of God, this is a good and healthy pattern because the future is guaranteed to be better than either our past or our present. And we will see this as we unpack three key lessons from this passage. The first is a reminder that then as now, tough times tempt us to focus on glory days. This message from God came on October 17th, 520 BC. And if you worshiped with us last week or you worshiped online since then, you know that the people of Israel had, had begun building the second temple about 18 years earlier in Jerusalem, but then they had quit and then they resumed their efforts in earnest on September 21st of 520 BC. So at this point of this message, they've been at work 
just about a month. And by now, I would imagine it was getting pretty apparent that this second temple was going to be a major disappointment to those familiar with the grandeur and beauty of the first. By way of encouragement, God gives the prophet Haggai another message for Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, and all the people then in Israel. And he begins by first inviting the elderly among them to admit what they were probably already feeling. In verse 3, God says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? To those who were alive in 586 B.C. when Solomon's glorious temple was, was destroyed, or to those who'd grown up hearing their parents' boring stories of glory days, it was abundantly clear that after 18 years, this partial rebuild was in pitiful shape. The second temple wasn't going to be as large or beautiful or ornate as Solomon's temple was. And yet, at the other hand, we have to recognize that depleted as they were as a people, it was still a massive project. It was a lot of hard work. And so after a month of hard work, the, the magnitude of that project was probably sinking in. So then, then think about it, right? They are working really hard to build something they know is way less magnificent than its predecessor. And that's pretty discouraging to think about. In pointing out the obvious to his people, God has a certain point to make, and he is, he is making it here, right? He says, he says that he wants them to be aware of their past, which was far more glorious and accomplished than their present. But God wasn't going to leave them stuck in that place. He wasn't going to leave them stuck thinking about glory days, and that is a very important lesson for us here in 2022. In modern American church life, let's be honest, it is very tempting to look back and keep looking back at the glory days. Today, 80 to 85% of Americans are either unchurched or dechurched. And so for that reason, we are tempted to look back to the glory days when everyone was in church because it was socially advantageous to be in church regardless of whether you actually believed anything or not. It is tempting to look back to a time when the value of Sunday school was so well understood that even unchurched, unbelieving parents would drop their kids off at church for Sunday school before they drove away as fast as they could to go get breakfast. Kids' programs were full. Youth groups were full. Youth sports would not dream of taking place on Sunday morning or Wednesday night because those times were sacred in America. It's tempting to get focused on that if you were alive then, because it is a little frustrating, our culture today. But here's the thing. All those things certainly do sound great, but, but thinking about them and dwelling on them isn't going to bring them back. To the extent that those days ever truly existed, they're gone. The postmodern, post-COVID, and post-Christian world in which we live simply isn't like that. And so while it's certainly okay to look back once in a while, as we, again, enjoyed doing a couple weeks ago on our 50th anniversary, 
we, the people of God, whose mission has never changed since God gave it to us, must resume looking firmly forward for many reasons, but one in particular, which is the second lesson of the passage. Are you ready for it? It's this. For God's people, the future is brighter than the past. It's brighter because God promises better days ahead. As we learned from this passage, right? We need, to, we need to understand God only had his people look back briefly and compare their glory days to their pitiful present so that they would fully appreciate the better and brighter future he was promising them. Verses 6 and 7 promise that just as God had acted decisively in the past, he was going to do so again. God would shake heaven, earth, sea, and land. For thus says the Lord of hosts, right? And I want to be clear. This passage refers to the Lord of hosts over and over and over again to understand who God is, right? He is the creator of the universe, but he is also the leader of the armies of heaven, right? He is almighty God. So what he says is going to happen. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. God is promising to once again act dramatically and decisively in human history. He would once again turn the world upside down to draw people to himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation, which was always his will. And so while the second temple wasn't going to initially be much to look at compared to the first, it would one day be filled with God's glory and God would redirect the flow of the earth's resources and treasures towards himself because as verse 8 emphasizes, God already owns and controls every resource anyway. Everything in creation, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. So as grim as their present situation was, God is encouraging Israel to focus on future glory, not long gone glory days. He promised greater glory to come and the outpouring of his divine shalom peace upon the world in verse 9. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, these verses were partially fulfilled some 500 years later when Jesus came to Jerusalem. By the early first century, Herod the Great had spent 46 years expanding and turning that pitiful second temple into what was a genuine wonder of the world. People traveled from all over the world to come and see it, and it was a cash cow for both Israel and the Roman Empire. Just a few decades after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, a Roman general named Titus would loot the temple of God and use that sacred treasure to make himself emperor of Rome, an event that is immortalized in his victory arch that stands to this day in Rome. Now, the second temple never experienced the visible cloud presence of God, as far as we know, the way the first temple did. But one day, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, entered the temple. 
Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, entered the temple. And so at last, God's presence and glory returned to his house. God returned to his house in the first century with a purpose. And that is to purchase that brighter future that he promised through Haggai. The eternal son of God had taken on a human body and nature. He was born in Bethlehem, just a few miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus grew up and he lived a perfect, sin-free life. And he taught the wisdom of God and he performed the miraculous works of God. And he successfully resisted all the temptations of the devil, those that we fail so often to resist. And Jesus did it all without ever sinning even once. As a man, Jesus was able to represent us. And as God come in the flesh, he could bear God's righteous wrath for all the sin of all the world throughout all of history as he suffered on the cross. The great I am came to buy our freedom and our future with his blood. Though he was sinless and committed no crime, Jesus was tried, convicted, and nailed to a cross to die as a rebel. He suffered there in agony, not because he was a rebel, but because we have rebelled against God's will and design for our lives. We are all natural-born sinners who deserve the penalty for sin, which is death. But Jesus took it for us on the cross. We were spiritually dead in our sins, unable to bring ourselves back to life or restore a relationship with God and his perfect holiness. And then Jesus died and he rose from the dead so that everyone who believes in him could be forgiven and likewise raised to life. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 proclaim, and you, you who are dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so in light of all this, we know we can all readily agree, I think, that in Christ, our personal future is guaranteed to be brighter. That no matter what your past or your present may look like, your future is infinitely and eternally brighter in Jesus Christ. Because when we believe in him, we enjoy union with him. True union with Jesus. I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, declares Lord Jesus. Everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord receives freedom from the power of sin and the sting of death. We are forgiven by God for all our sins and we enjoy eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so already we have seen and enjoy the fulfillment of many of these prophecies and promises that were given through Haggai. But they will all be fully realized when Christ returns. Because Jesus will come back one day. Physically, victoriously, powerfully, and unmistakably. 
Think about this passage from Haggai, the promises that God makes, and now hear the words of Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 to 26. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Right? The treasures of the world brought into the new Jerusalem. This is exactly what God was promising back in October of 520 B.C. The renewed earth, the new Jerusalem that is full of God's glory. The temple is perfected because it isn't even a building anymore, right? It is the visible presence of God the Father and Jesus the Son. And we'll be there. The glory and the treasures of all the nations flow into this city. Everything prophesied through Haggai is fulfilled. And I want you to understand that if you've If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is your future. This is going to happen. You are part of that eternal blessing. No matter how difficult or painful your present circumstances may be, no matter how glorious or awful your past may be, no matter how hard your near-term future on earth may be, this is the long-term forever future of every Christian. And so for God's people, the future is brighter than the past. Rather than dwelling on glory days, we must look forward to future glory because the future is both literally and figuratively bright. It is full of God's presence and our eternal enjoyment of Jesus, our King. So the question becomes, what do we do now, right? How should we live while we stand here in 2022 between the glory days of the past and the glorious future that awaits? And that's the third lesson, that we should do what God told Israel to do in 520 B.C., Be strong and work in the power of the Holy Spirit. The heart of today's passage is verses 4 and 5, and that's why I addressed the verses out of order, because I wanted to end here on this, the heart, the center point, right? Yet now, because this is what we could do now while we're in that in-between state between the past and the future. Yet now be strong. O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Children of God should respond to living in a difficult present that has a glorious future ahead of it by being strong in the Lord. Three times God says in verse 4 to be strong. He says it to the civil governor, to the religious leader, and to the people of God. Be strong. Be strong. Be 
strong. A triple repetition of this command is certainly quite emphatic, coming as it does from the holy, holy, holy God of the universe. God tells his people to be strong and work hard because he is the Lord of hosts. He is the almighty commander of heaven's army. He is the all-powerful creator of the universe, and he is with them. Fear not. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Even though the work was hard, even though there was so very much still to do to rebuild the temple, Even though the present was so disappointing compared to the past, God's people could trust in his presence and his power with them and work. Because God keeps his covenants faithfully. His spirit is at work to empower the hard work of his kingdom. He does not leave us without tools. This was God's assurance to his people over 2,500 years ago, and it remains true for us as we navigate these turbulent 20s. God is with us. His Holy Spirit is in us. His Spirit will always be in our midst because we have been sealed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 promise, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. And indeed he is with us, and yes, we have much work to do. In the strength of his Holy Spirit, we are called by God to work hard, not to rebuild a physical temple, but to build God's new temple, which is his people. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5 explain, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Every believer in Christ is a spiritual stone built together in God's holy temple. We are to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In God's new covenant of grace, not only are we individually temples of the Holy Spirit, but we are also living stones in God's spiritual temple. And our appointed task is to build God's kingdom by helping others come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You and I must work hard like Israel was called to work hard, but our work is the Great Commission. We are each commanded to make disciples by going and baptizing and teaching people. The things here that we call reaching out, welcoming in, and building up. Individually and as a church, this is what God has prepared and appointed for us to do during this time of of spiritual ruin. So we must not get stuck looking back to the glory days of Christendom in America or be trapped by despair about the world's current situation. Because we know the end of the story. 
We must be fearlessly and boldly working to make disciples in this neighborhood and out to the ends of the earth. Through Haggai, God promised the people of Israel, my spirit remains in your midst, and that is still true for us today. God's spirit is in our midst, and his spirit is not a spirit of fear or of weakness or of living in the past. 2 Timothy 1.7 promises, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That is the spirit that is in every believer. The spirit that allows us and enables us and empowers us to do the work appointed to us. God does not just give us a homework assignment and not give us the strength to accomplish it. He does it by his power. So be strong and work in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our charge from God. That's our homework. Be strong in the Lord and work in his power. Fear not. Together we must be that lighthouse for Christ at the corner of Clipper and Mariner that God has made this church to be. Together we must go out in our community in love and power next weekend for Love Our Neighbor Weekend. And, and part of that power is prayer power. And that's why if you are here in person, you have a prayer guide on your seat to take home and each day to pray in preparation for our, our going out in the community this weekend to come. Together, we must plant churches that plant churches that plant churches to do our part to reach the millions across this nation and billions around the world who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Together, we must pray for God to shake heaven and earth as he promised he would. We must pray for revival in the churches all across this nation and around the world, praying for God to shake heaven and earth for a great movement of his Holy Spirit that renews dead and dying churches that are stuck thinking about glory days or, or are compromising God's truth in defeat and surrender to this pitiful present in which we live. We must pray for God to shake heaven and earth again. In this dead and dying world, right? We need to pray for another decisive world-shaking by God to bring awakening across this nation and around the world. Awakening in Prince William County and in Virginia and the United States and the world, right? A great flood of his Holy Spirit working across this land and others that, that draws people to himself. At the same time that his, his people working in this Holy Spirit power are going out to boldly tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. We must pray, and I mean this, pray diligently for God to shake heaven and earth and to move the Christians out of the churches to reach the lost and to move the lost into the arms of Jesus Christ. Together, we are building a glorious kingdom in the spirit and power of the king himself. We don't need to ever dwell on glory days as we work together and pray together in anticipation of the future glory of God Almighty. And so I want to pray. And then I want to extend an invitation to anybody who wants to, to respond to whatever God has laid on your heart today. 
Oh, Heavenly Father, oh God, we come before you. And we confess that at times in our weakness and in our flesh, we do sometimes spend too much time dwelling on the glory days of how things once were. But Lord, we give thanks that in Jesus Christ, the future is so much brighter and better. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to be your people relentlessly looking and moving forward in the power of your spirit and in the presence of Jesus Christ, your son, to reach the nations who do not know you, to reach those of every tribe, tongue, and, 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 and nation, to reach the neighborhood around us, to reach across the world. Father God, let us not Lament the present over much, but let us move in your confident presence and joy into the future. And Lord, I want to just, li- just lift up anybody here or in person or, or even online, Lord, who is ready to, to commit to follow Jesus into the future, who has not yet made that decision, Lord, I pray that you would work in their heart and draw them to yourself. They would yield to you as Lord, moving forward. And Lord, I do pray that you would shake heaven and earth. I think you may be shaking already. And I pray that that shaking would intensify and that it would wake up sleeping churches and wake up sleeping believers to the work that you have appointed us and empowered us to do, that we would be found faithful. Lord, and that you would shake up this world and and just send a flood of your Holy Spirit across every land, drawing thousands, then millions, then billions to you through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord God. I pray for another great awakening. Lord, I pray that we have the privilege to serve you in such a time, but Lord, we trust your sovereign will and goodness that you have appointed us for this time such as you have made it and that you have given us all the power we need and all the resources we need to accomplish your mission in this time, whatever that looks like. Lord God, we lift these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And I do want to extend an invitation for you to respond in whatever way God has laid on your heart. All right, if you have never made that commitment to, to step into that brighter future, to, to yield to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that because then your future really will be brighter than anything you could ever imagine. Or if you realize you've been kind of sleeping or, or kind of living in the past and you are ready to let that go and lean into the future and the power of the Spirit, and you just want to recommit your day, your life, your service, your time, talent, and treasure to Lord Jesus. I want to invite you to respond. Now, if you're here in person, I, I would love to have you come forward. You can kneel at the altar. You can have me or Pastor Neil or a member of our prayer team pray over you and pray with you. But that can also just be between you and the Lord. If you're online, you can pray where you are or you can reach out to the church and we will be happy to pray with you this week. Just respond. Whatever way God has called you to do, do not be afraid. For we do not have a spirit of fear and timidity. We have a spirit of power. May God lead you to respond in whatever way.